Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Chris Williams with the VPPPA, which is the Voluntary Protection Program Participants Association. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Lee, for the welcome. I appreciate that. And I apologize for the mouthful there uh, with VPPPA. <laughs> well, uh, before we get too far into things, tell us about the association. How are you serving folks? So, VPPPA has been around now uh, since around 1984. They're about so going, going on 40 years here. And we serve, uh, the best way to put it is we were started as the Association for OSHA's Voluntary Protection Program Participants. Uh, what that is, it's a compliance assistance program uh, for all industries that companies are involved in, basically the best of the best in terms of safety and health programs. And as we've evolved over the years, the association has has focused more on all companies. Uh, what we mean by that is, is there are other safety associations out there that represent the safety and health professionals and the companies that, that really are striving for that VPP des- star designation and also to be the best of the best, the world-class companies. We bring them into the fold as well instead of focusing just on that VPP program. So that, that's, as I've mentioned previously to, to a number of folks uh, that are listeners here that I've worked with directly, we like our name, Voluntary Protection uh, Participant Program Association. Love it. It's a mouthful. So we go by VPPPA because we represent, as I said, the best of the best in terms of safety and health. Now, when you have safety and health as the forefront of the mission, um, do you spend a lot of your time kind of in education mode where you're just trying to share these kind of best practices? Oh, certainly. Uh, in fact, our, our main focus as a 501c3 is the education, not just of our members in terms of evolving their safety and health programs, but also industries as a whole. That's construction, manufacturing, uh, industrial, petrochem, everyone down the line from companies like Amazon all the way to Honeywell and some of the energy generation companies into the construction field as well. The education, it really starts with our Safety Plus convention, our symposium that's usually every August uh, this year, it's in Washington, D.C., so coming up here soon. And we, we focus on, as I said, not just educating the industries that we focus on, but helping them to connect and helping them to share their best practices. Popular saying from a safety and health perspective, and I'm a safety and health person by trade. Uh, previous experience uh, with Associated Builders and Contractors as Director of Safety and Health. My father's been in construction forever. We talk about and until we get to zero incidents worldwide, we're never going to have the very, very, very best program we can have. We need to keep evolving that program to continue to focus on, on helping all industries and all workers go home in the same or better condition in which they arrived. And that's our primary goal. Now, how are we doing? Like, what is the kind of state of the industry right now, in your opinion? State of the industry, safety and health, we are better than we have ever been. I can tell that. I can say that with absolute certainty. You know, I'm old enough to remember... Back, back in the 90s, uh, safety culture was, uh, I'll give a great example, uh, in terms of fall protection and construction. It was wear a body belt. Well, before that, it was, well, if you fell, bad things are going to happen. You're, you're most likely going to perish. Then it was wear a body belt. And if you fell, well, okay, you might be paralyzed from the waist down. From the 90s on, we evolved, and that piece of equipment evolved into a full body harness, which protects the, the wearer from serious injury. And so as we evolve safety and health, we, we've reached a point now that especially with VPPPA members, you know, our, our lagging indicators for our members are, are at least 52% better than industry averages across the board. And while that's great, as I said, 
one of the things that we as an association focus on, we continuously try to educate and share those best practices with our members to get that number to absolute zero in terms of incidents. Every our, our primary resource, our best resource we could possibly have are our employees, our workers out there. And our goal is to make sure that every one of them goes home safe. Now, do you find that the um, the companies you work with, um, a lot of companies, obviously, people are our most important asset, and they there's a lot of lip service <laughs> towards that. But practically, uh, you know, when the rubber hits the road, are you seeing them as um, maybe motivated and inclined to take action when it comes to safety and health as you'd like? Or is this something, is, is it getting better? Like, where are we at from that standpoint? Lee, that's that's a great question. With VPPPA members, our members, as I said, are always striving to be the very best of the best. And that's what we look for. But as, as we've expanded as an association and evolved our mission, some of those companies, sadly, there, there are companies out there, we see them in the news all the time, that, that they pay that lip service to, yes, we safety is our priority. And yet you look at their, their safety performance, it's simply not there. And as we've evolved our association, our focus is to bring those companies in. We want those companies to join us. We want those companies to be a part of VPPPA so that they can learn and apply those lessons and, and get better. You know, we see them you know, anytime I see a company, and this is personal opinion, not, not a VPPPA. Again, my safety backgrounds come into play here. Whenever I see a company or, or, or a person talk about safety as a priority, I always question that because priorities change. You know, my, my priority for the longest time every, every January 1st is I'm going to lose weight and Every March 1st, that priority is gone. It's changed. Uh, there's something else to put out there. Safety to our members and our association, it's a core value. It's what we, our businesses, our members build their business on, their model on. Uh, and when I worked in construction, there are a number of companies that, you know, you talk about the lip service side that their statement is essentially, we, we will not perform any task if it is not completely safe. But those companies walk the walk. And our goal as an association at VPPPA is to bring members on board to get them to where it's walking the walk in addition to talking the talk and to raise that boat with, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. That's our association's mission now. And then, so are you, you know, you've been doing this for a minute and it sounds like it's trending in the right direction. Uh, do you think that just by, you know, kind of holding up the examples of the people that are doing it well and then I don't want to say shaming, but just making the public aware of the people that aren't doing it as well or could improve. Is that kind of the lever that you need to get more people um, prioritizing safety and health? Like, what are the levers you have to pull to, you know, encourage more companies to really walk the walk? So it's interesting to say that when we talk about you know, shaming companies, and that's certainly been been something that that as an industry and in terms of other agencies as well they've, they've worked towards you know it's okay we bring attention to the company that's not performing well the reality is what we found in safety and health is that if for the longest time like i said the culture changes really started back in the 90s and i use the fall protection example but the reality is sa- safety is a culture as the cultures of a cultures evolved from the 90s we, we realized that the old culture of you know, the old, the old generational leadership style of tell somebody to do something and let them do it, make sure they do it and, and come down on them hard if they don't do it the right way. It's changed. Instead of shaming now, it's we work with not just employees, but companies and say, listen, we, we understand th- these are things that are happening and we, we have the solutions for you. We can get you to where you need to be. Let's work on that together and bring you up to speed so that you're not going to be in the news for all the wrong reasons. You're going to have employees who want to stay. You're going to have employees that are working safe and understand the importance of safety because it is a cultural issue. 
So you're finding that by bringing attention in a positive manner to the people that are doing it well and holding them up and spotlighting them and and using them as an example, that brings more people into the fold? Absolutely. And I'll I'll say this, our our Safety Plus Symposium we have every year, we have a large portion of our sessions dedicated, like I said, to sharing best practices and and to sharing our award winners' success stories, the best, the best again, showing how they've done it. That said, we also, from a safety and health standpoint, know that we, we need to, the best way to put this, Lee, is most people, their safety, why? Why they do what they do, why they work safe, it stems from a catastrophic incident, a tragedy beyond explanation. And you people that have gone through that loss, that have gone through either a death, fatality on the job site, or a serious injury with one of their employees, you can see the change there. And so what we also attempt to do is, is we bring in speakers that have, have gone through that safety wide, because the last thing we want a company or one of our members to have to go through is that catastrophic incident to finally realize it. So it's, it's, we try to duplicate that condition as much as possible and then promote the best practices after that and say, listen, this is something you never want to have to go through. Here's how you never have to go through it. Yeah, that because the people who have lived through it, they, they know the importance, but they had to experience that devastation in order to really have it kind of sink in and probably make no. that cultural change. I mean, it's it sadly, but you want to learn from their pain, really, so that you can eliminate the pain going forward for others. A- absolutely. I, I had a great conversation with, with one of our, our closing session speakers yesterday about this very topic. And she used to work at NASA during the Columbia disaster and said that NASA, and rightfully so, NASA has an exceptional safety culture. But unfortunately, it was the Columbia incident and Challenger before that, that there were slips. And in, in our, our profession, when there are slips, it's catastrophic. And so our mission is to avoid the, help, help companies avoid those slips. Yeah. I mean, there, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, you're dealing with human beings, so mistakes, you know, humans mm-hmm. make mistakes. But if you can, you know, get to the heart of the systems and make sure that you're catching some of these potential mistakes before they can happen systemically, then you can really make an impact and then you can prevent some of this. Absolutely. And incident prevention in any industry is always a, a tremendous asset. And it's something that we preach incessantly for good cause. And it's it also comes down to the when we talk about culture, as as we've seen this this cultural evolution in safety and health, as I said, it went from do the job get it done back at back up until OSHA was created back in the early seventies. Then it was all right, you work safe, but that was it. it was, you were responsible for your own safety and, and you are still responsible for your own safety in a job site. Don't get me wrong, but the cultural evolution we've now started to focus on in the early two thousands. And it's been tremendous in terms of helping us get this message across that. It's not just about you working safe. It's about you watching out for the people around you to make sure that they're working safe. And we've accomplished this in, in, a, in a way that, I don't think anybody, if you'd asked them 25 years ago, would have said this is possible. We've accomplished it by by having family days, by especially in construction, shutting down the job site and having families come in so that I, as an employee of the company, I, I as a steel worker, I, as a carpenter, I, as a laborer can see that the person working next to me has got, got a wife and kids, got a husband and a child. They've got parents. Those are the people that they're working for. And so what we're doing from a cultural standpoint is reinforcing that you're not just responsible for your own safety, 
But you need to make sure that the person next to you continues to work safe because they're going to go home to a family. And if there's that catastrophic loss, that safety why that happens, and we never want to see it, that's where the loss is going to be felt. And, and I can, yeah, th- this is a topic that I'm very passionate about because in my previous career with ABC as director of safety there, I had a member who shared a story with me from back back in the early 2000s on, on one of their job sites, a crane collapse, uh, killed a young man, unfortunately. It, it was their safety why, and on a Facebook every year, we unfortunately have to see their parents of that young man, they post every year how much they miss him, and we're now 20 years on from that. And it never, we never want to have to see somebody go through that, and that's why we do what we do. Right. And by including the families, you are, you know, you're kind of demonstrating the stakes like it isn't Bob. Exactly. There's Bob and his kid and his wife and his, you know, grandkid like Bob's more than Bob. So, I mean, the stakes are high and everybody it sounds like it's very holistic. And I, I mean, I remember when I was in school, and we'd read books about what it was like, you know, 100 years ago. I mean, it seems like we've come such a long way um, because of, you know, organizations like yours that are really kind of um, giving people the tools to be better. And it sounds like that we are making progress. This isn't a dream that can't come true. I mean, if people kind of can learn from your association and, and the members and really can make a difference, and it sounds like it is. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I, I pinpoint back, and it's you can't pinpoint a date, but when we, when we realized that, we could throw all of the money and all of the, the best practices in terms of technical knowledge, uh, in terms of personal protective equipment, uh, prevention to design. We could throw all of that technical knowledge into safety and health, but still not reach our goal. We Once we figured out we needed to include the human component, that, that's when it really started to click across all industries. That Once we got the human component in there and realized that Behavior really does have an effect on, on how somebody works. Not only that, the conditions they face off the job, and we started to focus on employee wellness outside of the outside of the job, the, the, the workplace. That's when it really started to shift to get us to the point we're at now. There's still a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. In, in terms of any 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 injury on on any job site or any plant, any manufacturing facility is one too many. And as we still need to focus on that improvement, but we've come so far. In the past 25, 30 years, just from then, and then even before that, you know, the famous photo of the New York skyline, the steel worker sitting on a steel beam. Sure. There's, the, I see that photo today, and I still, my, my heart stops because, number one, I'm afraid of heights. Number two, there, there's, I, I can't even fathom having someone on, on at that height with absolutely no fall protection. And we've come so far, and we're so safe that I think workers from that day and age would be astounded to see where we are at from a safety and health standpoint but again there's still some of, we still have to get to that zero now are you finding that uh, today's generation of workers um you know they're elevating maybe mental health as high as physical health when it comes to their workplace experience oh a- absolutely and we've started to see our, our members vpppa members are at the forefront of recognizing that employee wellness is critical to not just working safe, but the employee's long-term success and health. And it's, we, we focused on, especially with our association, in fact, uh, when I started, I've been here about a month now. Um, like I said, my background's in safety and health, but it was amazing to see how proactive not just our members have been, but also the association itself in terms of, of focusing on that. You know, we, we have members that, that will have mental health days for their workforce that say, that force them to take the day off. And we do that as an association as well. We tell our employees, my team, listen, 
every, once a day or once a quarter, you're, you're going to take the day off and we're going to pay you to take the day off. And we want you to go do anything that's not work related, because if you're not mentally sharp, and this is not just from the association standpoint, but from a workforce standpoint in general, if you're not mentally sharp and ready to go, that's when mistakes happen. And again, in our in our industry and in safety and health, one mistake is catastrophic. It can have catastrophic consequences, not just for you as an individual, but for those working around you. Now, um, is there an example you can share? I know that uh, this is kind of new for you in this role, but maybe an example you can share that illustrates the change that can happen when a company leans into safety and health in terms of, you know, just better results and better maybe retention and better just, you know, you're just a better organization when you lean into and elevate safety and health, not from lip service, but to actual action where you um, are, are kind of watching the back of your people. Absolutely. And I can share a recent example. I came over to VPPPA from the Association of the Wall and Ceiling Industry and, and administering the safety awards there. I had a company when I started about five years ago that I talked to them and said, yeah, you guys, you know, you've got a pretty good program. Why don't you apply for our safety awards? And they said, well, you know, we're still working on our culture and we still have some issues in some of our, some of our offices and we want to make sure that we've got them on the right path. And so we brought them aboard the safety committee, and this is now three years ago. They applied for the first safety award. They won for one of their offices. And I said, why, why don't you apply as a whole company? They said, well, we still have work to do, and that recognition, we haven't earned it. The sea change from them when they applied last year and won our highest award at AWCI was phenomenal from when I had started working with them. It wasn't just the tangibles of, of employee retention and the employees absolutely raved about their involvement in the safety and health program. It, it wasn't just the increased, perfor- the, the better performance in terms of their lagging indicators. It was the fact that safety and health had become a, an absolute obsession with the company. Whereas before it was, as I said, a priority. Now it was something that they strove for 24 seven. It was something that was at the forefront as a core value in everything the company did. Now, any advice for um, maybe other association leaders out there that are like you? You've been in this space for a while, but now you're taking over a new association. How you can kind of, um, you know, maybe your first hundred days, how you kind of went about uh, joining this association and kind of uh, making a plan to make the largest impact you can. Uh, that, that's a loaded question, Lee. It's, I, like I said, I started here about a month ago, but in reality, I, I started uh, when, I, when I was announced that I'd accepted the positions. That was back in May. And so I, some of my advice is that when the opportunity arises, seize it for those out there looking to take that, that top seat, that CEO, that executive director position, but start laying the groundwork for success even before you start. That, that's engaging with the executive committee and the board, getting to know what their goals are for the association, getting to know what, what their roles are, speaking with staff when the opportunity arises, being able to, to really explore that relationship and build that relationship from a foundational standpoint with them from the outset. Because I can, I can tell you when I started, I started July 1st and it was a half day and then July 4th was a Monday. So it was, <laughs> all right, I'm in the office for three hours and that's it. You eased into it. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I won't remember, I won't remember any, any faces or names the next week because there's, there's three and a half, four days in between. But because I, I'd gotten to know everyone and because I'd had those conversations with both volunteer leaders and staff, 
it, it really sets you up for success. And when you're looking at, especially in the first hundred days, one of the things I'd recommend for anyone that's interviewing for a position like this, you know, th- the question always comes from the interview committee, you know, the nominee, the, the committee. It's, you know, what would you do in your first 30 days or 60 days or 90 days? No, it, it's the first six months minimum because the first 90 days in this position are spent learning. It's that, that old, that old adage of you know, children should be seen and not heard. Well, executive directors and CEOs in instances where they can, they should be seen, heard only on occasion, but absorbing as much information as they can. Because if you go into it with, well, I'm going to change X, Y, and Z immediately, that, that's, that's not possible in associations. I think we all, we all know the pace that associations move and change on change. It's, it's not quick and that's fine. But we also, it's when you go into it with, with that mindset, I'm, I'm going to make these changes immediately in my first 90 days, you start to lose staff, the buy-in. And it's critical to earn the respect of your staff, your team from the outset, and also their buy-in to your vision for the association. That's a more long-term goal. So that, ne- never never go with that first 90 days. It's always the first six months because it takes six months to build those relationships up. And you have to manage the expectations of the board uh, in that regard as well, I'm sure. Ab- absolutely. It's um, unfortunate. VPPPA is, is in a really good position. You know, obviously with the pandemic coming out of this, you know, there's still uncertainty around many associations. Ours included in terms of attendance at our upcoming Safety Plus event, uh, in terms of how things will look when we're fully out of the pandemic, knock on wood. And so keeping that in mind, it's, it's it becomes one of those challenges of you don't want to say, oh, we're going to have 3,000 people at this event. Realizing that the market conditions simply won't support it, or again, coming out of a pandemic, there, there's still uncertainty and there's still travel restrictions. So it's, it's you know, not, not necessarily the old under promise over deliver, but be realistic in your expectations. Don't, don't my advice is don't don't go into it as I know I can make these changes and we're going to do tremendous work and we're we're going to succeed right off the bat. No, expect that. You know, as I said, you're learning as you come into it, and especially that first six months. Make sure that the board understands that, yeah, you, you need to take that six months to really be integrated into the association. And that's not just the operations, but the history of the associations, what what the association has done before, you know, and then laying out that vision in conjunction with your board of where you want to take the association, what you see the opportunities as being. Well, uh, Chris, if, if there's people out there that want to learn more about the association, uh, what is the coordinates or the best way to connect with you and your team? Absolutely. I can always go to our website, vpppa.org. It's got all of our contact information. Uh, and if any any aspiring leaders want to reach out to me, uh, I've been on this journey now for 22 years and it'll never stop because I love associations and also safety and health. Uh, and they like advice on getting this position. They can always reach me. My email address is cwilliams at vpppa.org. Well, Chris, remember, thank- remember three P's. Three P's. V, three P's and an A. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing such important work, and we appreciate you. Lee, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.